Good morning. Hey, good morning. It's nice. This thing works. It is really, really good to be here with you today. I want to thank you all for being here for what is the final session of our men's weekend. And I really pray as you're singing the song that that's something that you recognize and you can really sing those words that we're hungry for more of God. I see such incredible things happening in children's ministry and student ministry and on the campus and just in this body. And so it's exciting. It's exciting to come every Sunday and worship with you. I hope you were here through the sessions of the men's uh, weekend. We really did have a special treat. We were praying and looking for exactly the right guy to come and challenge families and challenge the guys in our body. And we knew last night we were going to play some octoball and some nine square in the air, some ping pong. And I was talking to my buddy Scott Roth, and he knows a guy who was the Olympic gold medalist in octoball in 1992. And so I thought with that kind of connection, we'd have him come. And obviously, Dean Jaderston is not the Olympic champion in octoball. I'm sure it's not an Olympic sport yet. Octoball, if you haven't played, is a dodgeball-type sport that you have to be much younger and more flexible than me to be good at. But it was a lot of fun to watch folks play last night. Dean Jaderston is our speaker for the weekend, and he is a good friend of my buddy Scott Roth. And Dean, in addition to being the head basketball coach at Sterling College and married to his beautiful wife, Julie, for 23 years, they've raised three boys, he's the executive director of Northern Pines Christian Family Camp. And so Scott takes his family every year and, and gets to experience some of the stuff that Dean's been talking about, family together, nurturing, trying to pour into him. And so he knew Dean and knew Dean's heart for guys just being challenged to be the kind of godly men they're supposed to be, and then also to draw families together. And so Scott asked Dean if he'd come and share, and it's been a blessing. I hope that you guys have enjoyed every one of the sessions. And if you would, for the final time, please uh, welcome Dean Jaderston. Thanks again. It has been a pleasure to be here this weekend. I've been treated very, very well. And Enjoyed getting to know a number of the men and, and uh, fellowship over around the ping pong table and the dinner table and, uh, um, and speak to men. I, uh, I have the privilege of coaching young men at a very, very critical time in their life when they're leaving home, trying to figure out what kind of men they're going to be. And one of the things that uh, we talk a lot about is relationships, as they're preparing to be husbands, as they're preparing to enter into these relationships and fall in love, what, what does God challenge us and what does God call us to do? Um, my wife and I, because we're in a college environment, do a, a little bit of a premarital counseling with couples. And one of the things we've, we've done um, is we, we look at the creation account. And by the way, I love the pictures you have in the back of your sanctuary. I, I love the creation story. I think there's so many things we pull from that and, and those powerful images of what, what God did. Um, but we look at the creation account and we, we look at what marriage was supposed to be like before sin entered the world. What was the ideal marriage? Before Adam and Eve had ever sinned, before there was any stain, how did they interact? What kinds of things can we learn? And there's, there's a number of principles that we think are really powerful. And, and what that does is it sets the tone for what we then learn God's Word says about how to be married. Um, we always hear, and I don't know if you've ever been to any marriage conferences or heard pastors or, or therapists or whoever preach about marriage, but they always go back to the passages that talk about submit and love, submit and love, and we wrestle with those. What do those mean? But it is my 
contention that you can't understand those passages without understanding what God originally designed marriage to be. Because those passages all deal with how do you make your marriage grow in a fallen world. And so this morning, I'd like to talk specifically to husbands about why we struggle the way we do. Why, why sometimes our marriages take the turns, why our tendencies go in a certain direction, and how we can counter that and have a godly, powerful, hot, exciting, passionate, whatever, whatever adjective you want to put to it, uh, relationship with the women we love. Now that's hard because for some men here, that's dried up. You're still in a relationship, you're still faithful, you're still there, but it's not what it used to be. For some men, we talked about on, on Saturday night, in the back of our mind, we wonder if, if we somehow miss something and, and something else is better out there, and, and we, we play with this lure of the world that, that pulls on us. What I would like to, like to suggest to you this morning is that once we understand what's happened in our relationship, what's happened in us as men, it helps us understand some of those things that pull us away from our wife and help us move back to her. At the same time, uh, it's interesting, I, I, I've done a lot of thinking and praying about how do you speak to men about marriage with all their wives present? Um, and I don't know if I'm going to do a very good job of that. I do want to uh, make a couple comments going in. I've entitled this message, Why Men Need Help. And uh, it comes after one of the principles that we look at in this creation account. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with it, but let me basically just walk through it very quickly. You start out and God says, let there be light, and He creates, and each day of creation is better than the one before. Each day of creation is more intricate and magnificent. Each day of creation grows and grows. You can follow the pattern back in, in those paintings. And at the end of each day, God says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And we get to the end, and, and God creates Adam, and and, and there's so many facets, I can go on and on about this stuff, but God creates Adam outside the garden. He creates him out of the dust, He raises him up, He takes him to this garden that He's planted, He puts him in it, and He looks at everything He's created, and He says, it is not good. Out of all this magnificent creation, everything's been good to this point, God looks at it and He says, it is not good that man should be alone. And his creation that, at that point was incomplete. It was not good. And so, out of Adam, he brings a woman, and Adam names her Eve. And then this powerful phrase, God looks at this whole creation. And he says, it is very good. Because now man has a helper. And please do not take that word. This is not, um, at our schools, you know, we have paras who help. We have people who come in and, and help. This is not that kind of helper. This is the same word that God applies to Himself in the book of Psalms. And one commentator actually says if we really want to interpret this correctly, we might want to use the word lifesaver. Because when God looked at a perfect creation in a perfect world without sin, He said it is not good that man should be alone. He needs a helper. He needs help. 
And for the ladies who are here today, I'm going to be challenging your husbands, but I'm going to tell you straight up, they cannot do this without your help. They cannot do this. Their lives cannot be whole. And in a matter of speaking, you can save their lives by helping them. Not by controlling, not by forcing, not by pushing, not by nagging or directing. But ladies, you can help us men be the husbands we really want to be down deep by helping us. And so men, I'd like to speak to you about what happened to us and and what happened in this process and where our natural tendencies go and what God says we can do about it. To start out, we're going to look at just a kind of a go through a Bible study as to what happened. And then the second half, we're going to go into some practical things that will help us day to day live out the marriages the way God intended us to be. The first question we have to ask is, why is marriage the way it is today? Why, what happened? And you can't understand why we are today without understanding what happened with the blessing and the curse that happened in the creation story. And if you've got your Bibles, you can turn into Genesis, the book of Genesis. We'll be in chapter 2. Actually, we'll start in chapter 1, and then we'll jump to chapter 2. In chapter 1, we have a blessing that God places on the man and the woman. It happens after Eve's been created. In Genesis chapter 1.26, it says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. It's the first appearance of the Trinity that we see in, in Scripture in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, and every living creature that moves on the ground. And God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. There's three elements in this blessing, and I want you to notice something in the language. It jumps back and forth from our image to His image to them ruling to creating Him. Male and female, He created them. There is this interaction of language there. And again, it's the first appearance of the Trinity in Scripture that, that, that there's more than one person, and yet it's, it's one, it's together. And that is how God created them. And the blessing He gives is to them. The charge He gives is to them. There's three elements. There's a charge to be fruitful and increase. There's a charge to subdue and rule, which is actually a a neutral. It can be a positive or negative, but they're going to subdue and rule. And then there's plants and trees for food. So God says, "Here's you're going to be there. I'm going to bless you. Here's the three things. You're going to be fruitful and increase. You're going to subdue and rule. And here's plants and trees for food. Understanding that context, 
we go through the story and, and, and the serpent comes and Eve eats the apple and she gives the apple to Adam. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And they sin. And because of sin comes a curse. And I would suggest the reason we are the way we are in our marriages and our relationships can be traced directly back to the effects of this curse. And I'm going to run through the effects on the women quickly, but there's one we're going to talk a little bit about, and then I want to talk what happened to us as men. But I believe every element of the curse is looking back at how God originally blessed them. Let me give an example. The first element of blessing was to be fruitful and increase. When we come to the curse, the very first thing that God says is to the women, there's going to be pain. She says, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now, I don't know why, but the very first part of this, going back to being fruitful increase, God says twice for the women, childbirth is now going to be painful. I make no claim to understand that. I have a scar in my hand where my wife's fingernails went completely through um, on the birth of our firstborn son. But the very first part of the curse is directly related to the fact that God says, I'm going to bless you, you're going to be fruitful, you're going to increase, but now it's going to be a painful process. The second part of the curse has to do with the relationship of the husband and wife. He says to the wife, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Go back to the blessing with me. The second blessing was that the husband and wife were going to rule together. That here is this grand creation, and they are going to rule over it. They are going to subdue it and rule over it. And so their direction, their perspective is toward creation. And what God says to the woman, here's what's going to happen. Instead of your direction subduing and ruling over this creation which I've given you, now your direction is going to turn toward your husband. And you're going to try and you're going to want to rule over you. The, the phrasing in it is exactly the same thing that happens in the next chapter. God says to Cain, he, he, Cain is wrestling, and, and, and God says to Cain, you, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. In Genesis 4.7. And the very word that's used for desire of sin wanting to control us is the word that's used for a woman's attention to rule and subdue, now turning to her husband to rule over him. And so, a woman's attention has turned from the creation that God has created and has now turned toward her husband, but he says it's not going to work the way you want. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And so you're going to have this tension. The woman's desire is turned. Her, her desire to rule and control and, and to make everything right is going to be aimed at her husband instead of God's creation. But it's never going to accomplish what she wants. And so the woman 
is cursed. And that's going to be part of our relational issues that we're going to look at. Then he comes to the man in, in Genesis 1.17. He says, uh, to Adam he said, or 2.17, I'm sorry, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it. All the days of your life, I'm sorry, I'm in chapter 3. I got my numbers mixed up. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since you were taken from the dust, or from which you were taken, for dust you are and to dust you will return. Let me point out something really powerful here. In the woman's curse, her children, childbirth is mentioned. In the woman's curse, her attention turns toward her husband. And in the man's curse, the woman is nowhere to be seen. And I would suggest that this is what I believe happened. Man and woman were created to walk together, to subdue, to work together. Life was very good. It was the pinnacle of God's creation and then sin entered the world. And as a result of the curse, the woman turns and now instead of ruling together, she turns and has this desire, this, this fleshly, sinful desire to control her husband, to, to rule her husband. And the husband's desire turns completely away from his wife into the life that he's going to lead. Plant the ground that was God had given them to provide all their needs. If you go back to the blessing, he'd given them all the plants and trees. Now this ground, now this plants, now this, this blessing was cursed. And he was going to work and he was going to toil and it wasn't going to be easy. And nowhere do you see any hint of Eve who's standing next to him. And this is what I have experienced in my marriage. This is what I believe we battle today. We live in a fallen world. A woman is turned, trying to desperately hang on, trying to desperately control, trying to desperately receive the affections of her husband, trying to desperately somehow... And we as men, instead of turning toward our helper, instead of turning toward our lifesaver, instead of turning toward the one who God created to walk beside us and do life together with, we turn this way and we focus on our jobs, on our careers, on our hobbies, on our reputation on our power, on our influence. We are cursed men. And that is what sin has done to this relationship that God has created. There's some things we need to learn about this. In uh, the curse, God says something really unique to Adam. He says, uh, because you listened to your wife and ate, 1 Timothy 2.14 tells us very clearly that Adam wasn't deceived. Adam wasn't lured in by the words of the serpent. 
Matter of fact, here's what I would suggest that happened. We know from the account that Adam was right there. The serpent's there. Eve is there. Adam's there. She took the fruit. She grabbed it. She ate. She gave it to her husband. And at that point, God tells us Adam was not deceived. He knew full well what God had told him. He knew full well what he was supposed to do. And in that moment, I believe Adam chose Eve over God. And men, I would tell you today, we are the exact same way. How many times when we're lonely or frustrated or angry or restless, do we turn and choose the daughters of Eve over our Savior? Whether it be the relationships we go in, whether it be what we look at in movies or on the internet, I believe part of the curse today is we follow in the footsteps of Adam. And time and time and time again, we choose the daughters of Eve over our Savior and so are cursed. And we follow our forefather, Adam. And for those of us who are married, we turn away from the very person God has placed in our life to be our helper, to walk with, and do life together with. I think that one of the most wonderful things in my life is I've had the privilege at three different churches, my wife and I have done youth ministry together. She's wonderful administratively. She's phenomenal with girls. Uh, she never got a daughter, and so she pours into uh, young women just passionately. And we were able to walk year after year, week after week, doing youth ministry together. We do Northern Pines together, a ministry that we're passionate about because it gives families a chance to rest and to vacation and to learn and to grow and we do it together. And as powerful and wonderful as that has been in my life, I can point to numerous times where the curse is powerful in me. I, I can attest uh, to driving to camp, and I'm going to be teaching, and I'm going to be leading, and I'm going to be counseling, and I'm mad at something my wife has done. And I could drive four and five hours and never say a word because I'm a cursed man and I turn away from my wife. I can attest to times where my wife has gotten desperately trying to, to draw my affections or trying to draw my attention and I'm so focused on whether it be basketball or camp or fixing something or life, I get so engaged and so engrossed I don't see anything that she's doing and she tries harder and harder and I simply turn and focus on all the labors that are ahead of me. Because I am a cursed man. Who can save me from this wretched life? Thanks be to God. I have a Savior, Jesus Christ, and a Holy Spirit who indwells in me and empowers me and gives me freedom. But for a lot of men who's out there, I would suggest you know exactly what I'm feeling, how easy it is for us to turn.
And we don't realize how desperate we've made our wives who we don't even see. And there's a lot of college-age kids here and, and, and young adults. I would suggest a couple things, and this is a complete side note. Young men, until you have fully decided to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have no business choosing the daughter of Eve time and time again until you figure it out. Your future wife needs to know her husband loves Jesus. Needs to know that you're a follower. And that when push comes to shove, you're going to choose him over her. And that's the only way she'll have security in your marriage. And ladies, too many of you hope that someday your man will start choosing God. And you will save yourself a lot of heartache a lot of pain by waiting until he has made that commitment first and then allowing God's healing to take place in his life, he'll discover he can turn himself back fully to you and be the man you want him to be. Now, how, how do we, what do we do with this then? How do we move ahead? How do we heal our marriages? See, I believe it's in understanding this that the New Testament teachings take on a whole new perspective. Really, in the New Testament, there's, there's five key passages that we can lump into two groups that tell us how to overcome this curse. You see, when I understand what happens with the blessing and the curse, now the teachings about submitting and loving take on a whole new perspective for me. Ephesians 5.22, Wives, submit yourself to the husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body which he is the Savior. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the Word. I don't believe these things, these verses are about status or power or anything like that in the relationship. I think a loving God knows what sin has done to us and is telling this is the secret. This is the key to turning the corner. You see, for me as a husband, I have turned away from my wife. I have turned to my work. I've turned to whatever I can escape to. And the key to my marriage being what God originally designed is to get me turned back to my wife. And the way to do that is for me to love and love completely just as Christ loved the church. Tell you this, I can submit to my wife. I can obey my wife and never look at her. I know what she wants done. I know when the trash has to go out. I know, I know when things need to get done. I can be completely focused, do all the things she wants to, and frankly, never have to love her. And I would live in a cold, distant marriage. The only way to get back to what God originally designed that He said this is very good is for me to turn back to my wife and love as Christ loved the church. To be sacrificial to put her needs before mine. And in doing so, I turn back to my Helper. For women, it says, women, submit to your husband. See, I would suggest women usually don't have a problem loving their husband often as much as they do submitting. Why? Because the curse, what sin does 
is it turns you towards your husband with this desire to control, this desire to master, to hold on, to make sure everything works out okay. I'd like to give you a couple definitions. For men, what is practical and biblical love? I believe it's to turn my will, my affection, my attention, my desire, and my effort back toward my wife. Let me list those again. And I'm trusting the Holy Spirit as I go through this list. One or two, He's going to poke you a little bit. And say, this is the one for you. For me, practical and biblical love to turn my will, my affection, my attention, my desire, and my effort back toward my wife. There are men in this congregation your, your will is not turned toward your wife. You're doing your own thing. Some of you men are far more affectionate with your children, with your dog, with your friends than you are with your wife. And if you're going to love your wife, you've got to turn your affection back to your wife. Your attention. I'm good at this one. Yep, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. What did you say? I could be focused on a million things. And often I need to turn and find my wife's eyes and listen and put other stuff aside. Our desire, this is a tough one. For some men, your desire has turned to other daughters of Eve. Your desire has turned to other things, those passions that drive you. And if you're going to have a marriage that God says is very good, you're going to have to turn your desires back to your wife. And for all of us, to some extent, our efforts. If we figured out, if we worked as hard to figure out what our wife likes, if we worked as hard as we do at our fantasy football rosters, we'd have some happy wives. If we worked as hard to meet our wives' needs as we do to accomplish the next project at work, we'd have happy wives. And that's what I think practical biblical love is. Women, just very quickly, practical biblical submission. When your primary desire, intent, and effort is to help, not control. When my wife helps me, it does something for me. I can't explain it completely. But there is, I, I feel it in the core of who I am when she helps, when she does something that makes my life easier, when she does something that, that helps me become who I, I, I think God wants me to be or accomplish something, something happens inside of me. And candidly, when she tries to control me, I can feel myself wanting to shut down and turn even further. Now, I don't have a choice. I still need to turn in love. But women, I would suggest to you, as your men have been challenged this weekend, as your men have, have wrestled with God, what God is saying to them, You were created to be their helper, their lifesaver. And 
you all know, we all know men need a lot of help. But that's what you can do. And that's, that's what these passages, I think, get to as we read time and time again. We need help. But with God's help, we can turn together and start doing the things that God has for us as a couple. So that's the first set of passages in the, in the New Testament. It's all about, Peter talks about it, Paul talks about it. Now the second set of passages is one that I had to wrestle with exactly how to present it because we've got a, a mixed audience, not just males and females, but we got older and we got some kids in the audience. But to be, to be fair and to be accurate with Scripture, here is the second piece that if you look at all the teachings in, in the New Testament about how to be married, uh, love and submit, love and submit. And the second is honor and use the marriage bed. 1 Corinthians 7, 3, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. Hebrews 13, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed be kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Let me just give a couple challenges. I believe, and it has been intriguing to me to look at this, that when God tells us how to be married, submit and love, honor the marriage bed. And I think that's a lost message. I think marriage is on, under attack today, not by Gary marriage amendments and, and politics, but I look at the fact that our believers tend to get divorced at the same rate that non-believers do. As we talked last night, I think that's a direct attack by Satan. And when God gives us instructions, we need to take that seriously. I believe one of the reasons our kids suffer with, with uh, their own sexuality and, and relationships is we tell our kids, wait until you're married, wait until you're married, wait until you're married. It's going to be wonderful. And then we show them a lot of loveless marriages and they wonder, why should I wait in the first place? You want to inspire your kids. Give them a loving, godly marriage of two people still in love, walking together, ruling and subduing together, submitting and loving each other in a powerful, powerful way. And that will go far, far longer and deeper in changing your kids than just giving them a lecture on how they should behave sexually inspire your kids. And, and I would suggest that even in this, as, I, as I've looked at this, my wife and I have talked about this, I still believe, because in the act of lovemaking, in that marriage bed, a woman's body submits, and a man loves in a way where his attention is once again totally turned to his wife. And I would suggest in the marriage bed, the curse can be broken at least for a little bit. In the marriage bed, two become one, the image of God, where God says, male and female, we're going to create them. In our own image, we're going to create them. In the marriage bed, we glorify God's creation in all of its form. I'd give you just a, a note. I love the fact that babies never show up until after Adam and Eve leave the garden. 
that their physical intimacy in the garden was not for the purpose of making babies. It's not until after sin. It's not until after they leave that that starts to happen. But it was without them becoming one. And so I would stand before you today as a man who has not figured out marriage, believe me, but as a man who has learned my tendency as a cursed man to turn away from my wife. I can tell you my wife has learned her tendency as, as a, a woman under the curse to turn and try and to control. But men, when we turn and love our wives, something supernatural happens. Women, when you help instead of control, something happens. And once again, we walk together under the blessing of God and the healing of our Savior. Thank you for inviting me. I, I've appreciated the opportunity to share. And uh, I just want to pray a, a blessing over the men of this church, as fathers, as husbands, as future fathers, as men who have to fight fierce battles. Um, we need each other. So if we could just pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank You for the victory that's in You. We thank You that when You are our Lord and our Savior, that there is power to live our lives, that curses are broken, that sin is defeated, the grave is defeated, and that we have a hope that cannot be shaken. And Lord, I pray a blessing over the men of this church. I pray that they would be strong and fierce. That they would stand unwaveringly. That they would fight for people who can't fight for themselves. That they would stand up for justice. Lord, I pray that as they father, they would father intentionally. That they, they would raise up another generation of young men and women who love You and follow You. Lord, I pray for the husbands in this congregation that they would truly turn back to their wives and they would love their wives as You have loved the church. And in doing so, they would inspire their children. They would model for other couples what true healing can be and that we do not have to live under a curse anymore. But there is freedom and hope and joy and power in the name of Jesus Christ. So we thank You for Your Word and the truth that's there. We thank You for the fact that You walk beside us, You walk before us, and You hem us in from behind. We pray that there would be leaders in this group of men that would rise up, that there would be husbands who are strong and powerful, as we would fight, we'd fight together, claiming victory in your name. And that's the name we pray. Amen.